Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back. I'm Shannon. And I'm Danica. We're going to tell you the story of the McMartin Preschool sexual abuse trials. So let's get started. The McMartin Daycare was a family-run preschool in Manhattan Beach, California. Virginia McMartin founded the preschool in 1956. Her daughter, Peggy McMartin Bucky, was the administrator. Two of her grandchildren were teachers, Ray and Peggy Ann Bucky, along with others that weren't relatives, but we'll get into those later. Virginia found herself single at the age of 49 when her husband left her, and she was forced to take odd jobs to make ends meet. One being at a church nursery, she ended up borrowing money and bought her own preschool, and she eventually opened another. She received many awards for her work, such as the Rose and Scroll Award in 1977, and she always had a waiting list for her preschools. On May 12, 1983, a parent by the name of Judy Johnson drops her two-and-a-half-year-old son off named Billy at the daycare. Once she picks him up that day, she calls the police and says her son has been sexually assaulted by the 25-year-old teacher, Ray. She claims to know this because she took her son to the doctor that day because her son's bottom itched. She also claims that she noticed a spot of blood on his bottom. Okay, I'm a mom of a son about that age, so I don't want a mom shame, but... um... Who takes a toddler to the doctor for their bottom itching? Because that's like prime toilet training. I'm assuming if their bottom itched, probably didn't work very well. And I get the whole blood thing, but she didn't notice that when she took him. Like, like it doesn't sound like she took him for that. Like, it sounds like he noticed it after the fact, is what I'm saying. Yes. So, yes, that was my thoughts exactly. And no, the blood was to have been found at the, um, no blood was ever found at the doctor visit. So this wasn't her only allegation, though, but we will get into that. So September 7th, 1983, Ray is arrested due to the allegations, but released later that day due to lack of evidence. Though he lets, though the police let him go, Police Chief Harry Comier uh, sends out letters to present and past preschool parents, telling them that Ray is suspected of child molestation uh, and he needs their assistance to find out if there's any other victims. The letter further said, our investigation indicates that possible criminal acts, including oral sex, fondling of genitals, buttocks or chest area, as well as sodomy, were possibly committed on the pretense of taking the children's temperature. Pictures may have also been taken of the children without their clothing. If you have ever observed Ray, if, or if your child has ever observed Ray Bucky, leave the classroom alone with the child during nap time or observed him tie up a child, it is important to let them know. 
In closing, he says, keep the investigation confidential. I will say that he does say there is no evidence to indicate that management had any knowledge of this, but he definitely doesn't say there's no evidence of this at all, which is while they are investigating. So, all right, Danica, you have a child in daycare. What are your thoughts if you get a letter like this in the mail from the police? I mean, especially if they don't say that they don't have any evidence, it's just an unfounded allegation so far, I would be freaking out. I mean, I probably would take my kid out of that daycare. I would be up in arms, you know. I mean, especially because my son said is only two and a half. So, like, as far as speaking, he can't tell me a whole lot. But I still would be upset. Like, I it, w- it just wouldn't sit well with me as a parent to get a letter like that. Yeah. So, not to mention, a lot of people get a letter like this and <clears throat> they don't read We are investigating that this possibly may have happened. They are reading this happened. So Judy isn't happy to know that Ray was released. And she writes a letter to the district attorney. She tells the DA that her son had been part of a satanic ritual with the McMartin staff. Let me remind you that amidst the satanic panic that we've talked about before. So this is going on during all this time. So and we do go way more in depth about the satanic panic and what all happened in that in our West Memphis three episodes. If you want yes. more information about satanic panic. Yes. So the DA's office <clears throat> can't let accusations like this go. So they enlist the help of a woman named Key McFarlane. She worked at the Children's Institute as a social worker. As part of her job there, she was to Id- identify and treat abused children. She has a bachelor's degree in fine arts and a master's degree in social work. If you're wondering how you are going to identify abuse children, you probably won't find the answers in this podcast. She begins interviewing the children, 400 in fact, as to possible sexual abuse at the preschool. Of the 400, she identified 360 were sexually abused at the preschool. Not only Were there interviews with the children? 150 of those children also were giving examinations by Dr. Astrid Hagar, who also worked at the Children's Institute. She states that 80% of the children she examined had, in fact, been molested. I also want to say examinations are used loosely here. The term. Her idea of an examination is not based on physical evidence, as you would expect, but on medical history and her briefs. Oddly enough, she did have initial physical examinations where six children were found to have actually been molested, though this does not tell who molested them. Apparently, though, this didn't work for the prosecution or for Key. I'm not sure who the ringleader was here. And it changed to 80% of the children. So let me give you more details as to what Judy tells the DA as she continues to meet with them. This is what she says Billy has told her. She says they are, she says they being the daycare 
were at a church doing communion and a prayer similar to the Lord's prayer. And during the ritual, Peggy cuts a baby's head off and burns the brains. And he was forced to drink the baby's blood. He also talks about three teachers at the school dressing as witches and burying him in a coffin without holes in it. She also tells of another time Billy was on a train and staples were put in his ears, nipples, and tongue. There are more outlandish stories told by Judy, but let's stop here for a, man- a minute. So, Danica, you do have a son a little over two and a half, and we both know he cannot even begin to articulate these things. He doesn't have this kind of vocabulary at this age, and he's not going to examine a coffin for holes. So this all is very absurd to me. No, he doesn't have this kind of thought process or vocabulary. No child at two and a half does unless she has a genius on her hands. My son couldn't tell you what a coffin is or I mean, something similar to the Lord's Prayer, but not the Lord's Prayer. My son's heard the Lord's <laughs> Prayer, but he doesn't know it's called that. He doesn't know what communion is, even though he's partaken in it. He just knows he gets bread and juice. I mean, oh, I just, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it, and it really, I think, helps having him at this age where you're like, really like, seriously? I, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's easy to do some parallels here. Yes. Um, No, this just isn't adding up. The math ain't mathing for me. No. So I don't know this child's intellect, but I do know I saw in an interview in which Ray described this child um, as a nonverbal child in the daycare. Um, And this child also didn't go there for very long. These sadly wouldn't be the only accusations and Judy won't be the only one slinging them. Let's go back um, for a minute, though. Your child had staples in his ears, nipples, and tongue, and you didn't notice anything, but you took him to the doctor for a butt itch. I'm going to have to say this stuff just, it's just not adding up. So on March 22nd, 1984, Ray, Peggy, Virginia, and Peggy Ann, as well as Mary Ann Jackson, uh, Bet Radar and Babette Splitter are indicated or indicted, I'm sorry, on 115 counts of child abuse. Marianne, Betty, and Babette are teachers that worked at the daycare as well as as well, but they weren't relatives. Within two months, 93 more counts were added, and by August of 1984, it had jumped to 397 and 30 other people associated with the preschool were under investigation. Due to some of the interviews with Key, there are all kinds of stories being told. Children are saying they were molested by groups of men and women in public bathrooms and in tunnels under the school. There were animal mutilations and drinking of blood. One boy went as far to say he saw Ray beat a horse with a baseball bat. They played naked games and were pictured naked. Of course, police searched all seven defendants' homes for evidence as well as the preschool. They searched for secret rooms at the preschool and underground tunnels, and there was no evidence ever found anywhere. You would think that maybe they may drop the charges because they have absolutely nothing, but that does not happen. In March of 1985, a group of about 50 McMartin parents 
wanted to take matters into their own hands and they wanted to find these secret tunnels and they began digging a lot next to the school. They are digging for days and then the DA hires an archaeologist firm to help find the secret tunnels. To their dismay, no secret tunnels or rooms were ever uncovered. Okay, so the DA is able to hire an archaeological firm to help with this after police said they couldn't uncover anything. Where is all this money coming from? This is actually the costliest ever trial that they're going to have at $15 million and spanned over seven years. But to answer your questions more directly, CII raised money for the investigation and they raised $11 million. So many of the defendants couldn't afford bail and Ray was held without bail. This means some of them were in jail for two years before the preliminary hearings ended. Betty Radar was one of them. She and her husband had to sell their home just to afford to pay attorney fees. The preliminary hearings were over in January of 1986, and the DA ended up dropping charges against five of the seven because there just wasn't enough evidence. Sad to say, these women spent two years in jail, and people like Betty lost their homes because of this. The daycare was shut down because of the allegations. They lost their livelihoods. But was all this in vain? Ray and his mother are the two that the DA decides they are going to still go forward and try and convict. Peggy Ann was questioned, why were they being, why were they being tried and the rest were being released? And she said, that's a good question, but she doesn't know. In December of 1986, Judy ended up dying of alcohol poisoning. With this, some digging is done and Chief Prosecutor Rubin reveals she may have held some exculpatory evidence from the defense. That evidence turns out to be Judy was an alcoholic as well as she suffered from schizophrenia. Remember, she is the person who started this whole thing in motion with her allegations. Okay, hang on a minute. So you're telling me that the lawyers who are prosecuting this did not do their due diligence to find out she was an alcoholic and schizophrenic. That's correct. Okay. So the trial, I know. $15 million went very far <laughs> in this case. I see. We haven't even finished all this. This just, I don't, this is just the craziest thing I've ever heard. So the trial is set and it begins on July 14th, 1987. There are a few children that testify, and their testimony has all kinds of holes in it, as well as the parents who testify. Of course, Key is basically their key witness, and she is the one on the and she's on the stand for five weeks. Yes, you heard me, five weeks. Good God. For one, they want to know why in 28 years not one single child had said anything to anyone about this abuse. And now there are over 300 kids who suddenly remember this after being interviewed by her. This right here. Thank <laughs> you. Yes. So she said the children suffered from CSAAS, which is sexual abuse accommodation syndrome, which she says children learn to accept because there is no way out. Side note. There are several states that prohibit any testimony as to CS, 
AAS, and it is not accepted by the American Psychiatric Association or by the American Psychological Association. In fact, one of the children that witnessed was asked by the defense why she never said anything about any of this before, and she said Key helped her memories come back. She couldn't remember it until Key helped her. The defense is also questioning her interview techniques. The defense is saying these are leading questions she is asking when they review the videos of the interview. Let me give you an example. This comes from a transcript from an eight-year-old boy she interviewed. Keep in mind she's using puppets and anatomically correct dots. Danica, do you want to be key and I'll be this boy? Okay, that sounds good to me. Mr. Monkey is a little bit chicken, and he can't remember any of the naked game. But we think you can, because we know a naked game that you were around for, because the other kids told us, and it's called Naked Movie Star. Do you remember that game, Mr. Alligator, or is your memory too bad? Um, no, I don't remember that game. Oh. Um, well, it's, um, it's a little song that me and a friend heard of. Um. I heard... Out loud, someone singing Naked Movie Star, Naked Movie Star. You know that, Mr. Alligator? That means you're smart, because that's the same song the other kids knew. And that's how we really know you're smarter than you look. So you better not play dumb, Mr. Alligator. Well, I didn't really hear a whole lot. I just heard someone yell it from out in the, I don't know, someone just yelled it. Maybe you peeked in the window one day and saw them playing it, and maybe you could remember and help us? Well. No, I haven't seen anyone playing a naked movie star. I've only heard the song. What good are you? You must be dumb. So this, of course, goes on and on. All the interviews are like this. Key, in my opinion, badgers them until they say what she wants them to say, and she's feeding them what she wants them to say by telling them what the other kids have said. Key also would have to video, would have to stop the video at what children are admitting to for the parents to watch when they are so-called affirming their molestation. She doesn't let the parents watch all of it, and they aren't in there when the interviews happen. The defense can't understand how she can call the kids dumb or insinuate it and think that she's not leading the kids. For the so-called expert witness, they had the defense, had some had someone to refute what was said. The prosecution did also find themselves an informant by the name of George Freeman. He testified that Ray had confessed that he had sexually molested all those kids, had incestuous relationships with his sister, shipped pro uh, shipped pro materials to Denmark and buried incriminating photos of himself in South Dakota. I'm sorry, that was supposed to be pornography. Why George wasn't able to get him to tell him where these pictures were for evidence, I guess we'll never know. Oh, wait, maybe because he's full of crap? If he would say, what good are you? You must be dumb. <laughs> I know. In cross-examination, it was revealed that he had nine felonies for robbery, was an informant for another trial, that he committed perjury in when there was evidence to prove he was lying. And George admitted to that, but said he wasn't lying now, though. 
So on November 2nd, 1989, the trial ended. The trial was almost 30 months. This is insane. Can you imagine being on jury duty that long? That's over a year. Yes. No, 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 not, not over a year. Oh, months, months. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was thinking weeks, but yeah, really months. Two years. Yes. Two years. Yes. The jury, of course, have to deliberate and decide a verdict. I've never heard of this before, but the jury spent two and a half months deliberating. They come back deadlocked, and it's a mistrial. The DA decides to drop the charges against Peggy. Tons of parents from the McMartin daycare are marching the streets chanting, We believe the children. Of course, the DA feels pressure again, so they do retry Ray. The second trial was not nearly as long as the first, thank goodness, because who has that kind of time? The prosecution presents its case in only 13 days. Remember, Key was on the stand for five weeks before, but they choose not to use her this go around. Apparently, that was part of the issue with the previous jury, as she was very leading in their opinion. The jury comes back deadlocked as well, and there is another mistrial. The DA decided to drop the charges on Ray. I cannot imagine the toll this must have taken on Ray. He has since said he just wants to be left alone, which I totally get. He did say he doesn't blame the children at all. They were put through so much to actually think about that, Danica. These kids are browbeat to believe they are molested. They are questioned by their parents, the police, and Key. They don't know what to think, I'm sure. Yeah, the damage is probably caused, you know, it's it's caused these kids damage when they're claiming that they're going to find the damage that's already been caused. <laughs> um, because, you know, especially as a little kid, the police are supposed to be there to protect you. Your parents are supposed to be there to protect you. And they're telling you, like, these things happen to you. And so you think that that's what happened. Even if you know deep down it's not, as a kid, you don't really have, like, the ability to fight and say, no, that's not what happened to me. Because these are the people that you're, you know, it's ingrained in you to trust. Yes. So the claims were crazy and far-fetched in this episode. But remember, it was during the satanic panic and maybe... And maybe this was believable to them. I am in no way saying don't believe your kids, but at least investigate some before you blindly believe them. I would just like to say, always believe your kids. I don't think any kid came up to th- this and said any of this. I think a mother who was a drunk paranoid schizophrenic said these things. I wholeheartedly do not believe her two and a half year old said no a word no, of it no so if your kids say something 100 percent believe them. yes i don't think a kid said anything no so um i mean i don't want to say you know don't believe your kids but i too worked at a daycare i was a head start teacher many years ago and i remember one mother coming to me saying her son said i hit him in the head with a hammer the day before and i was baffled and i said that didn't happen we don't even have a hammer here. And don't you think his head would be bleeding and he'd have a bump? And she's like, well, I asked. Um, she's like, I didn't check for that. And so she checked in and there was nothing. So, I mean, 
I'm not going to say your kids can't be wrong. They do come up with some crazy stories sometimes, but at least investigate before you just go, you know. Yes. Advocate for your children, but with common sense. Yes. You know, clearly (laughs) says, teacher hit me in the head today. (laughs) My kids, I have kids that are kindergarten to second grade right now. And one of them will walk straight up to me and say, my leg is broken. And I'm like, that's crazy. You just walked up to me. Like, obviously, that's not true because I have common sense and I can see that they're walking on both legs. Fine. Um, but, yeah, there's common sense that has to be had. But, yeah, definitely use it. Use it, but advocate for your children. This was a case where one lady who was a drunk, schizophrenic, was believed. And it was blown way out of proportion. And it ruined the lives of all of these people. And people lost their house. People lost their jobs. People lost their livelihood. They spent years in jail. Their names will forever be marred. And these kids were also traumatized. Yeah. Um, so this is a wild case. It's just crazy to think that it went this far, that people that you would think have some sort of common sense or education, you know, these attorneys, these judges, these all of them, these investigators, the police, never sat there and go, mm, I don't really think a two-year-old can say that. Just doesn't seem like I it know. adds up to me. It's crazy. And then you think it wasn't even that. I mean, I guess it is, does sound that long ago now, but in the 80s, and you're like, we weren't that stupid in the 80s, were we? Well, apparently, y'all were, <laughs> at least here in California. They, I don't know what they were doing, but they, they were off. But um, anyway, this is a crazy case, and it's, I think, um, kind of a pinnacle of satanic panic. Yes. Um, which is why I think it's really interesting. It's crazy to see how fear-mongering in the media can, like, really, I think, push this. Um, I don't think that this would happen the way it happened then, um, today. And it kind of is the same thing with, the West Memphis Three, I don't think that that trial would have happened the way it happened today. Um, and Santana Panic played a role in that. It's just crazy to think how something like that yeah, can, can agree. push something like this. But anyway, advocate for your children. But please, for all that is holy, have common sense. <laughs> yes. I know it's not that common, but we believe if you're listening to us that you probably have some. So. We always recommend more bubbly and less OJ. Cheers! If you'd like to see pictures from today's episode, you can find us at murder.mimosas on Instagram. You can also find us at murder.mimosas on TikTok, Twitter. And if you have a case you would like us to do, you can send that to murder.mimosas at gmail.com. And lastly, we are on Facebook at Murder and Mimosas Podcast, where you can interact with us there. We love any type of feedback you can give us, so please rate and review us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you.